Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. You two on election day. They're Irish. I don't think they care. Um, joining me uh, is an Italian from uh, Southern California, Bill Bavese, my roommate college, former general manager of the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Bill, first of all, good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I, I, I trust you can hear me okay. No, hey, you sound better than you've ever sounded. <laughs> How about that? It all worked. Yeah. It all nice. worked. Um, first of all, I you know I, I called, I contacted Bill yesterday, and I, I was out of town last week when I saw the news that Tommy Osorio passed away, and I, I put on about a eight minute clip of uh, me interviewing he and my dad at the same time, which was pretty interesting. And um, and uh, but Bill and I started thinking. I said, you know, is there somebody? And I thought, well, Bill's known him since he was a kid. And so let's tell everybody kind of about the way you grew up, and then we'll talk about about uh, you meeting Tommy. But uh, uh, Bill's dad, I, I mentioned in the first hour, probably one of the most interesting men I've ever met in my life, and uh, Buzzy Bavese. Uh, your dad born and raised where? Uh, New York. He was uh, uh, born in New York. His, his, his parents came over from, from Italy, and uh, they settled in... Bronxville, New York, which which now is a real exclusive area, and um, his father Joseph uh, started a trucking company in New, New York City and got into newspaper distribution, and so they went from having nothing to having a lot, and um, went to uh, you know, did grade school and and high school in Bronxville, actually in Scarsdale. And then went on to DePaul University. Now, where is that? Everybody's familiar with DePaul, which is different, right? It's in Greencastle, Indiana. And his roommate was, uh, he had a few, he had a few roommates. I think one went on to be the president of, uh, of Penn State. And then one uh, is his, was, his name was uh, Fred Frick. And his father was Ford Frick, the commissioner of baseball at the time. And uh, Buzzy's dad had passed away when he was in uh, high school. And Ford Frick kind of took a liking to Buzzy and uh, kind of took care of him, you know, kept his eye on him. And that's how he ended up in ba- baseball. He actually, his mother, uh, my grandmother, Gra- <laughs> Grammy, gave him, uh, gave him a year off as a gra- graduation present. She said, uh, hey, I'll, I'll take care of a year. You don't have to work. I'll take care of you. And so he took her up on that. And he, the first thing he did, he went to, he went down to Florida and, and went to spring training and he ran into Mr. Frick and Mr. Frick said, you know, Buzzy, what are you doing? He said, nothing. I, you know, my mom's doing this. He said, I don't think so. He said, uh, I'll meet you in the city, get back to the city. I'll meet you there, uh, day, day after, after tomorrow. And then he, he took him in to see Larry McPhail, 
the owner of the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and, and uh, Larry gave him a job as an office boy or something like that. And then oh, he took he, off from there. What a story. And now what year is that? Who got, you know, that's, oh, wow. It's before, um, it's, but it's before. So that's in the 30s, right? Right. You it's know, before so, World War II, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He went out, he went out and started working for uh, Branch Rickey. Um, when he, he took over and, and he went out and ran some clubs in the summer and then came back into the office in New York. And he did that for a few years before. So, uh, when Pearl Harbor hit, he and, and most everybody signed up, um, and, and enlisted, but he got rejected because he had a bad knee. Um, and, but the war got bad enough that a year later, uh, a year or a year and a half later, he was drafted. Yeah. Um, and knee? then spent three knee? years in knee. What knee? He had a, I don't even know which it left or right, but he, he, right. he heard it playing baseball at, at DePaul. He was a catcher. And, um, and I really don't know. He, he said he didn't, he said, you know, I, I thought it was fine. You know, I wasn't worried about it. And, uh, he said, but he, he got rejected, which I think temporarily pissed him off, but then, then he realized he might've been lucky. But ultimately he serves and, and, uh, carrying a, oh, yeah. a Thompson machine oh, yeah. gun as a squad leader in Italy, right? Yeah. He was a machine gunner and, and uh, in, uh, North Africa and, uh, and Italy. And he, uh, yeah, he did that. He was, so he was in for three three years. He was one of those nine those ninety day wonders. You know, goes to right. camp and then and then goes over, and um, and you know, it's funny not 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 funny. But when when Evett passed away, his wife when she passed away, um, the woman that we had hired to to look after her, she came out with this little box and gave it to to my brother Bob's wife Mar- Margaret. She said, "Hey." Uh, he said, Evan wanted you to have these. And they were, they were full of these letters. Buzzy had written back, written to her from World War II. Right. And, and so, so she, she puts them, and, and Margaret is fabulous. She's, she's, she's really, she's done a lot of uh, work on an, Ancestry.com, you know, right. working out the history of our family. And I really haven't seen it all yet, but she's done so much work on it. So this, she just took to this right, right away. And apropos of what you're doing, you know, when you, when you read through these letters, she put it, she put them together and then printed them all for everybody as a book, right. um, which Kyle keeps in his, in his firefighting bag, you know, cause he's, he's so taken by it. But when you read through, through these, you read a guy who goes from being real mild mannered um, and very polite and very, vir- you know, virtuous on every level to a guy who's pissed and really is, you know, struggling to figure it out and not sure if he can come home. So it's real interesting and it, and it parallels a lot of what you're doing. Um, and it's the, the, these problems that you discuss are, are so real and they've been there forever. You know, they've been there since the dawn of time. Well, I remember you telling me a story about you, your dad coming home, and um, and and let me just tell you, Bill's dad. You can you hear his pedigree, right? But I meet him, and he's this larger than life figure, and I didn't even know um, that he had fought in World War II, and then I found that out, and he becomes larger than life in that. But he's this 
he's this big personality, New York City guy, L, you know, L.A. Dodger guy later, and then and then ultimately with the Padres. But he's this big guy. And then Bill and I were talking about you know his dad, Buzzy's service, and he said, yeah, he said, you know, my mom would tell stories about finding him in the closet, right? Yeah, yeah. They they he um. So Brand, Mr. Ricky sent him out to, uh, you know, to Valdosta, Georgia, uh, America's Georgia. And I don't know if you've been there in the summer, but, you know, there's these and a lot of your listeners will get this. But there's these th- thunderstorms that that are, are, you know, it's quiet and then boom. And so he'd be asleep, sleep at night. And he'd just dive in the closet and, right. and he'd come back out and kind of make a joke out of it. But that happened a, a little bit. And, 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 and so, and, but he really in, in, in sober moments, he would never talk about this. He would never talk about his time in the service. And if you did get him to, yeah, it might be after dinner. If we, if you've had a drink or something, he might talk about something, but really not much at all. And, uh, you, you, you could piece together little, little bits and pieces and, uh, one interesting one, Bob, my brother Bob again. He was, he was in Europe, and he was with—I don't know who he was with—but um, he might have gone on a tour with some buddies. Or I, I don't know what, but he was—he <clears throat> was interested in the in going to as many uh, World War II sites as he could, and, and he ended up in Florence, I think, in Dante's house. And he wow. called Buzzy because he remembered Buzzy saying something about Dante's house, and so. Buzzy says, well, where are you? And he says, yeah, I'm, up th- I'm, in, I'm down on the foyer or whatever. You know, he said, well, go up. You know, there's these stairs. He kind of points him and tells him, go up these stairs, turn left. Go. And, he, and so Bob ends up going out a door and it's on a, like a, uh, I, I don't know how, what it really was, except to say that it was like a patio, a covered pat- patio. And these two or three streets that come into the town cross there. And he said, that's where I set up. My, I was. I, I sat there for days with my machine gun, and he said there was a lot. I did a lot of things there, and and, and it was just you know Bob said it just it, it really struck him that what sacrifices these guys had made wow. at a young age and leaving children at home and all that. But he said he said that got real. You know when he looked at it there, he said, oh okay, now I get it. You know there's a, there's a strategy to this too. That you know he, wow. I put it there for a reason. See see those streets. That's why I put it there. Wow. The um, uh, Bill and I, I said earlier, Bill and I married sisters. And uh, when at the time our father in law passed away, uh, was the last time I saw Bill's dad. And I was going to back to Iraq. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he, 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 he saw me either going into the church or coming out of it. And he, and he, <laughs> and he, and he looks at me and goes, Hey, young, he goes, Young man, I want to talk to you. And I said, Okay. And he said, um, I hear you're going back. And I said, I am. And he said, you don't have to do that. And I said, I know that. He said, it's not a good war. It's not right. And I said, I said, if it was you, if you were me, would you go? If, if people called you and said, we need you. And he said, don't do that to me. And I said, <laughs> and, and I said, I don't think you probably wanted to go and do the things that you had to do. I said, but I said, I said, Buzzy, I think it's my duty. And he said, he said, damn it. Don't, don't tell me about duty. You've already gone. You've done enough. 
And I said, I think if you were in my position, you would go back. And then he just, you know, he, he, he shook my hand and he said, good luck. And, you know, he was just, you know, and you could tell as a veteran that here's somebody who understands, right? And in those letters, you get a chance. I mean, you've you probably never seen that side of your father, right? I mean, the, you know, I don't know if I'm going to live through this, you know, with the stuff I see is horrible, you know, it's, 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 I now have this anger in me that I've never had in, in my life before. And what a cool gift. Um, I mean, to, to all you guys to, to, to see a part of your dad that you probably didn't very, get to see very often, but he was just, I mean, I'll never, I will never, of all the different times I, I met with your dad and how funny he was and how interesting he was, uh, Buzzy was a great reader. I mean, he, he read more than any, you know, almost anybody I yeah. know. Yeah. And, uh, and we would, you know, when I'd go up there, we'd, you know, I'd look at his library and I'd ask him about books and, you know, and, uh, he was, he was amazing, but I will never, ever forget, um, how would I say the tenderness that he showed me. And I think that tenderness only can come from somebody who's gone through us, you know, that experience and his much worse than mine, uh, and just sticks his hand out and says, I give a shit about you. And, you know, good luck, and, and I care. And I, I will never, ever forget outside of, uh, I can't remember the name of the church in Huntington Beach, uh, St. what, what's the name of that church? St. Simon Jude's, yeah. Yeah, St. Simon yeah. Jude's, where the funeral was. But, uh, no, just, yeah. a, just yeah. a, a great guy, great guy. Well, you know, he wasn't he wasn't happy when you signed up. <laughs> you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't digging that. And right. he said, what's he doing? You know, and I told, and I, you know, and I told, told him, he said, he said, oh, you know, you got to talk him out of that. I said, Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'll talk him out of that. <laughs> but no, he wasn't, he, you know, he listened, man, you know, he's, he's lived it. He's right. seen it. And, right. and, uh, you know, he really, he had, uh, he had a re- reference point that, that, that I thankfully don't have. Right. And, and he has said, you know, there, there was a guy, uh, Jeff Miller, um, a columnist here in Orange, Orange County, really fantastic writer, and, and he was, you know, uh, many years ago he did a, a, a Veterans Day piece, and he talked to Buzzy, and, and Buzzy said, "Look, you know, you're asking about stuff I've I've spent 40 years trying trying to forget," and so he really didn't he didn't talk to him much about you know there was there really wasn't that much in there, but he he had talked to George Hendrick too, and because because George is a a Vietnam, a Vietnam vet, right. and uh, he was in it, and and he um, and George is he won't say word one about it, not word one. And George is George is one of the best men that baseballs had go through. Um, he's a fabulous guy. But fabulous. he he had it when he when he went to work for your dad. You know, as a player for the Padres, he had a reputation of being a difficult guy, right? Yeah, he did. He was he was because something happened in Oakland with with the media, and. Uh, he just said, he said, Hey, I'm not talking to the media anymore. And he, and he, he's just a man of his word. He just, he just stick, sticks to it. And Buzzy, when he came to the pot Padres, Buzzy just loved this guy, just loved him. And cause he was one of those guys that wouldn't, didn't want to do the autograph signings, didn't want to do any of that stuff. And, and Buzzy said, uh, Buzzy didn't find him. He just told, he told, you know, dad, I think to tell him, Hey, you know, um, if, if you're not there, we're going to have a workout tomorrow at nine, nine in the morning. And so, and so George ran, ran in the office and said, Hey, you know, you wouldn't do, do that. Would you? He said, you bet me, you know, I, I will do it. So then George shows, shows up for everything. Cause he won't, he won't do anything that's going to hurt a teammate. He'll write you a check. Right. Yeah. You know, he'll write you the check, but he's not going to have a teammate get, 
get hurt. And when Buzzy Buzzy left the Padres, I don't know if, I mean, you you remember this, but right. um, so it kind of blew up, and 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 they made a change uh, with your dad. Your dad left, and Al, Alvin Dark came in, and so Buzzy was probably a, a couple months behind him, and he left in a huff. And uh, two guys called him to see if he need, if he needed money. One was Doc Matai and the other was uh, was George Hendrick. <laughs> so and I think it was the I think it was the veteran aspect. I, I, I really do. And right. it was unsaid, unspoken, but I think both knew what the other had done and they just they just were really tight. I, I and I've I've since then I've I've hired George twice. I've had I had him in LA as a minor league instructor and then I had him in Anaheim as a as a major league coach and there's i think that i just kind of saw that kind of, that kind of veteran understanding and i don't mean baseball veteran i mean military veteran you know there was something that popped into my head um oh you know one of the other stories i remember you telling or your dad telling um in our in your company was they're moving in italy at night and this is the randomness of the experience, yeah. right? And uh, you know, at night, you don't, you know, you grab onto something from the guy's gear in front of you, and you don't let go. I just, you know, you're moving, especially in in darkness. You know, you're trying to move quietly and tactically, which never works. Guys are falling down and and whatnot, but you don't you don't let go of the guy in front of you. And he told a story about a guy comes up and said, "Hey, man, I got out of line. You know, can can you let me hop in?" And he said, you know, uh, if I remember the story right, Bill, correct me, that he let the guy in and then mm-hmm. not, not too, you know, not too many minutes later, you know, thereafter, you know, the guy's shot and killed. Yep. Right? And yep. Yeah. So that should have yep. been me, you know, and, and, you know, those kind of profound experiences when you go to bed at night and you just, you know, you look at the, you know, in your dad's case, you look at the stars and you think I should be dead were it not for that, you know? And uh, just, yeah. Yeah. and then those yeah. guys, those guys come home and they never say a word about it. No, and it, 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 it'll, it'll kind of leak out once in a while. Like, right. you know, we, you and I caught him in a week, a week moment. And he right. just, he just says that that happened to him another time. He, um, they would, they would dig in. So, so, you know, as all your listeners know, and you know that, you know, the, the, the access powers had a lot of stuff going on. They had, oh, they yeah. had, they had, better almost everything right. but americans just figure stuff out right. and um so they would they would they they would surround the they would surround the enemy and they would dig in this would take weeks right. and they would dig in and wait till they ran out of food and gasoline right. and and then they would do what they have to do but but during those weeks you're exposed and they're in these foxholes and they're living in these foxholes and so his turn for leave came up but his mother was going to be in rome um two weeks later something like that and so his his leave came up his fox mate his foxhole mate didn't have anything going on so he switched with him so his, his foxhole mate went and took the took the leave comes back then buzzy leaves to see his mother and comes back his foxhole mate's dead because some you know munitions dropped on the foxhole. So so that that happened to him at least twice, something like that. Wow. No, it's um and then and then he comes home 
and and let me the way this will you know Tommy Lasorda I mean these guys are kids of the depression right and uh after I'd come back from Afghanistan uh I had met I'd interviewed Tommy previous to that and I'd met his assistant his name's Colin Gunderson and yeah. uh just a nice guy and young guy and uh so I called Colin I said hey Colin I just got back from Afghanistan and uh I said, my son's going to be out here. Patrick was coming out. I said, is there any way Tommy could leave us? I got a phone call from Tommy and he, you know, he's just effusive in his praise. He goes, he goes, Mike, for the love of God. He said, how many, how many times have you gone? I said, well, that was the third time. And he said, Hey, he said, you come and be my, I mean, he's just so nice, right? Just so nice. And you know, uh, a patriot of this country. I mean, everybody will remember the, the Rick Monday, uh, story about yeah. you know two guys hopping on the field at Dodger Stadium, going to burn a flag, and Monday's in center field. Monday, a former you know Marine reservist, and he takes off running. Well, if you look in the picture, Monday's running from center field, and he grabs a flag, and he heads towards the left field foul line at Dodger Stadium, right with the flag. If you look at the picture, running the other way towards those guys is Tommy Lasorda. Oh, <laughs> he's pissed. Right, he's yeah. screaming and yelling, and um, he was just a, a wonderful patriot, you know, of this country, and uh, and and always nice. So, so let's talk about your dad. So, your dad comes home, and now he is, um, he's what is he to Branch Rickey before the Dodgers move out to L.A. in the heyday of the Dodger Yankee rivalry? You know, Bill's dad is in in uh, has a great has a great job in 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 America's greatest city at the time. Yeah, he, he was, uh, uh, you know, they didn't, it was, you know, if you go back to the teams in those days, it was like watching Al, Al Davis and, and, and the Raiders. There's a bunch of guys who worked there, but nobody has, has any titles. They just work for the Raiders. Right. And uh, the Dodgers were the same way. They had, they had Buzzy and Fresco Thompson. Uh, Al Campanis was still playing, uh, finishing up and starting to come into the office. And uh, so Buzzy would, he'd work in the office um, during the winter and then he'd go out and run, run a club for him in the, in the summer. And the greatest example that I can give you of, of the importance of this was, was breaking the color line. And, um, Jackie Robinson was going to be, he was going to break in with, with the Dodgers, uh, after he got through, he was, he was going to be in Mon- Montreal, but, and then in in Brooklyn, but behind him by I think a year or two were Don Newcomb and Roy Campanella, and these guys were ass kickers. These guys were just great players. But a lot of the farm system is in the south, and that's why why Jackie started in Mon- Montreal in the north. And so they wanted to establish a team in the north, and so they they put a team in the I can't remember what league it was, the Eastern League, but it was a uh, um, it was a good league, but they, they established it in Nashua, New Hampshire. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I had the good fortune to read a, a story about this. And it was really remarkable, you know, that and, and how simple it was. You know, to, today, this is a complex problem. Back then, it was Branch Rickey saying to Buzzy, hey, go up there and, you know, see if you can find a club up there. Find, find a, a city that will take us and we'll put a team there and we have to – we're going to put these two – uh, black black players, they're great players. Um, but even in the north, 
there wasn't the acceptance you might think, but right. it was better than, than, than the South. And so he picks Nashua because they're, they're looking for some activity. They've got, they've got a ballpark and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify the story, but he basically goes in, in there and establishes this franchise, this ball club in, in this league. And he just geniusly uh, thinks of this and he, gets the editor of the newspaper and it's one newspaper, but he gets the editor of the news, newspaper to be the president of the ball club. This guy's just honored <laughs> and he's just taken by, he says, Oh my God, Oh my God, of course I'll do this. And so he waits month goes by and this guy's the president. He's doing, he's, he's, he's speaking to the civic groups. He's selling fence signs. He's into it. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. And, and then Buzzy drops it on him. These two black players are coming and he's got, this guy has no choice, but the newspaper is behind it, is behind the idea. And the town gets behind it, and they accept these two, these two players, and these two players just run through this league. And, I mean, you know who these two players I'm talking about. Right. You've seen, you know, Don Newcomb is just, is just a beast, and, and, and Roy Campanella is probably the only player I really regret never having been able to see him play. Just amazing guys. But that, that just imagine doing that. And you're just one guy and he just, and, and branch says, Hey, go up there and, <laughs> and set, you know, set, set this thing up. And then, um, another one I recall is in the same vein, the year before he sent Buzzy out to scout Jackie Robinson at, in Montreal and just, uh, and <clears throat> you know, not, not in Montreal. I can't remember where he was playing. It might've been in Daytona, but he was supposed to go watch this guy. And so Buzzy, Buzzy thinks, you know, he told me this story. He's told this a lot of times that he said, what do I, you know, what am I going to add to this thing? You know, Branch Ricky likes the guy. What am I going to say? Ah, you know what, Branch, I don't think he can play. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so he, he, he goes out and he's kind of thinking, oh, I got to bring something new to this thing. So he just, he, he goes and he sits in the wives section, in the player wives section, and he sits behind Rachel Ro Robinson and he realizes that she's a genius and she's just one of the best people he's ever heard open her mouth. He just he just falls in love with her. So this is the, this is one of the greatest people on the face of the earth. And so that's it. He he goes back home. He takes off and he goes home and he and he tells Miss Mr. Rick. He says, "Hey, listen. You know this is what I did. And if this guy's good enough for her, he's good enough for you." <laughs> and that was it. So that, he said, that's all I've got. He said, you've got bird, bird shot and you've got all these other, other guys who've given you all the reports on them. What am I going to add to that? But this, his makeup's good. So, so that, so that he also, you know, he also, uh, at that same, in that same period, uh, of running my, my clubs and going out in the sum, summer and going back into New York, he established uh, Do Dodger town in Vero beach because, and this is, this is kind of a bad story, but there's a, there's a, there was a train that ran that what is now the not I 95 that goes right. up and down the, right. the coast. And so he was supposed to get on a train and, and hit, hit Vero beach and then hit, hit Cocoa beach and just hit a bunch of, a bunch of areas in the Florida air area and uh, maybe even a little bit high, higher. But when he got to Vero, I think that was his first stop. And I don't know why it was his first stop, but it was his first stop. And there was a mayor named Bud Holman, and the stadium there is named after Hol it's Holman Stadium. And right. so Bud shows him this this naval base, this na naval air base, 
and the potential it has for for Fields and, and Scott Barracks. Sorry about that. It's got Barracks. Um, it's got everything you need. And so Buzzy realizes, you know, this is this is okay. You know, it'll be interesting what I see all, elsewhere. Then Visner Holman breaks out the breaks out the cards and they start playing cards and they end up at some dude, some dude ranch playing cards. And, and so Buzzy's there for a few, a few days and says, yeah, this is good enough. And he takes the train back. <laughs> he doesn't see the other places. And he tells Mr. Rick, yeah, this is the perfect spot. To <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and again, Dodger town, right. Oh, Built gosh. out of that air for, out of that base is its own little yeah. Spartan place of legendary, um, of just legendary stuff. The Dodgers would go into camp there, and then they had the golf carts and and their entire you know facility there, and uh, it was it was legendary. And so you're um, you're born in 1957. Bill's 20 days younger than me, and mm-hmm. um, and so uh, talk about when do you first meet Tommy Lasorda? So he, I, I have vivid memories of him. I, I've got. Well, I really how, how can you not, right? Yeah, yeah. He is that guy. You, you, you've, you've described him right. And, and you know, all your listeners, I, I, I challenge you to find one who probably hasn't, you know, doesn't feel some sort of affinity to this guy and un- understand who he is and recognize who who he is. Um, but he, he was, he was, um, he. So what I remember, I remember him as a scout, and. He he had the Southern California area, big area, but great great players, and he had it he had it before the draft, before there was a draft, and so that's when scouts were sneaking into other scouts' garages and cutting the distributor wires of their cars so they can't get to a game, and, and you know they're, they're, that's when they were it was just the Wild West, and so Tommy was perfect for the Wild West, you know he's, he was meant for it, um, he could out outfox anybody, um, and so. But but I'm pretty young, so I don't really understand everything except that this is a, a gregarious and fun guy, you know. And and it's not like he was Uncle Tommy or anything like that. He was he was one of those guys that, would, that was just a a, a, a real hard working guy. And he really was. He really he was not lazy. You know, this guy was really a hard working guy. And I remember we would meet him at Lloyd's Kitchen. It was a coffee shop in Pasadena. And we would meet him there, and Buzzy would take me every once in a while, or take Bob, or he'd take, up, take, take us both. And um, we they'd meet and talk about players and talk about what they want to do. And it was always the am- amateur players. So it was, nobody, it was nobody I ever recognized. There were no names I ever recognized. But yeah. but Willie Davis, Willie, Will, uh, Willie Crawford, Tom, you know, there, were, there were a lot of guys in the L- L.A. area. You know what kind of area that is. And, and so – you know, there were obviously great players talked about. I just didn't recognize them. I was too too young, but I knew I knew who he was, and I knew him real well. And and um, uh, he he went out and managed in the summer. So back in those days, as you recall, you know, it's not like it is now. The staffs aren't the size they are now. That if you scouted uh, once the summer hit, you were you wanted to go out and either manage or coach a rookie league team that would start after the draft or in the summer. And so he went to Ogden, as I recall. And, and, you know, this guy, I think this guy was so great for players. He was just so great because he kind of recognized opportunity and, and that, that 
you know, everybody needs an opportunity. And so he's the only guy, and I used to try to teach guys to do this. I used to try to preach this to our coaches and our man, our managers, but guys just weren't working as hard as he was. He was just a hard worker, but he would, he would, um, organize a game in the morning. And so Ogden's playing Spokane tonight at, at seven, seven o'clock. He'd make arrangements with the manager for at least a couple of days in town. <clears throat> hey, I've got a bunch of guys that aren't getting any at bats or enough innings. How about you know you want to play five, five innings tomorrow morning? And they would, and they would get out there at ten in the morning, and the grounds crew would set the place up, and they'd play, and they'd play, and they'd played hard, and he would report back to the ball club in LA what happened, who did what, and so. A lot of kids got the benefit of that. And I always, I was always so taken by that, even at a young age when I heard about it, because I don't, you know, he was doing it when I was five, five years old. So I don't know, but I heard about it later on when I was a farm director and I thought, God dang, that's what, you know, (laughs) that's what players need. That's absolutely what players need. Um, And the other, so I got another couple of uh, recollections and that was when, he was the third base coach of the Dodgers, and I would see him when they would come through San, San Diego when I was on the grounds crew. And so I'd be doing my work. He'd come out and we'd talk, and I just loved talking to him. He was great to talk to. And then in the fifth inning, when you go out and you dra- drag the field, I you know, routinely in- ended up at third base, raking around third base. I talked to him for, for a second. But it was those days when he was he was talked about as the heir apparent to Walter Alston, yeah. and but he was getting kind of impatient, and the Braves were looking for you know the Braves were talking to him, people were talking to him, and he was holding off because he wanted to manage the Dodgers, and luckily he did hold off because I, I'm not sure life would have been, been the same if he went to the Braves or he went somewhere else, um, but he had it was the perfect marriage. Um, and then in 2000, I was, I, so I left Anaheim, I resigned in Anaheim before I got fired. <laughs> and so at in 99, I left and in 99, the U S Olympic team, the U S national team had to qualify to get into the Olympics in Australia, in Sydney, in the year 2000, that qualifier was real tough because you you're playing all baseball countries uh the the dominican republic uh, nicaragua uh colombia um uh mexico uh canada cuba and only, only the first two are going and and we 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 won the silver medal and so we qualified but i didn't have anything to do with that because i was the general manager of the angels at the time and then i left and the, the co-general managers of that, that Pan Am team that qualified right. were Pat Gillick and Bob Watson. And they reported to Sandy Alderson. Gillick took the job in Seattle. I was free and Sandy Alderson called me and said, hey, can you take, do you, do you want to take Gillick's place? I said, absolutely, I'd love to do it. And so we then embark on player selection. And we're going to be able to use 40-man roster players, but not 25-man roster players. Oh. And so you run into – you think you're going to be better, but you're really not because 
I'll use Mark DeRosa as an example. We showed a lot of interest in taking Mark, Mark DeRosa and Atlanta immediately calls him up or they'll find a reason why you can't take them because they need them for their, for their stretch runs. And so we know this team's going to be, it's going to be like that, like that pan, that Pan Am team, right. but it's not a great team. It's, it's, it's a lot of mi- minor leaguers and it's, 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 it turned out being good, but you know, you know, you have a chance to struggle. And when Cuba's bringing their best, Japan, right. you know, Japan was shut down their league just to, just to try to beat, beat you. Um, everybody was putting their best foot for, forward, but the U S since most of the players in minor league baseball are from the U S you know, it's going to be, di- it'll be difficult. And so now we're choosing a, a, a coaching staff and a manager and, um, Tommy's name came up and it got passed over real quick because he had been retired for, for a few years and every, everybody thought this, this is going to take a job with you know, it's going to take some en- energy. It's going to be tough travel getting over there. It's going to be tough living in the village. It's going to be tough. This, this, this is not going to be easy. And so the thought was he was too old. And, and uh, that was the, the initial thought. But then we, you know, Sandy and Bob and I, we really felt we had to rethink that because, and I remember thinking in my head, this team might not be that great. And we need somebody that will bring a, bring attention to this thing. Bud Selig wants to grow the game internationally. We can't, we, we better think about Tommy again. And so Sandy at, he charges me with meeting with Tommy. And so I called Tommy and said, Hey, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about this job and, um, let's get together. And so he said, yeah, I'll meet, I'll meet you tomorrow. Let's meet at Mimi's cafe in Fullerton. <laughs> so we got where, where he lit where he and his family lived his whole life right that's yeah they landed when he, when he came out from new york when the team came out in 57 or 58 from new york they bought everybody was buying houses in fullerton because they were giving them away and he was one of those so all these dodger folks are in the fullerton area area that's exactly why buzzy went somewhere else he went up to pasadena so uh but but tommy is in the same house they bought when they moved and uh because listen his whole life was was on the road or at dodger stadium man right and he uh so i meet with him and i tell him look you know there's a little concern about you know are you you've had a heart heart attack you've you know you've retired you know what do you think about this? And he starts airing me out. <laughs> he just starts airing me out. He says, do you have another hall of favor? That's a possibility. And he's just, he's just going on and on. I've got more energy than you do you. So, and he's just lighting me up. So here I am, you know, I'm, I'm in my four, in my forties, getting my ass kicked in me, in Mimi's by an 80 year old. And, and let me he, tell you, uh, Hey, and Bill will yeah. tell you this. When time of the sort of time lit you up, you knew oh. you'd, Hey, he could he could sow curse words. Not that he would do this in memes, <laughs> but he could sow curse words into different syllables. And yeah. I mean, he was gifted. I mean, I love profanity because yeah. I, you know, but, but when you grow up around it, I mean, like, so I I meet Bill. Bill's on the ground crew at <laughs> at 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 for the Padres, and I go and I work out, and then I sit in the bullpen, and we're the same age. And I lived out by Bill's brother, who was a general manager. 
and uh, and uh, and would go to the lake out there with uh, with Bill's sister-in-law Judy, who was a, a homecoming queen at UCLA. So yep. Bill and a, a friend. Of, what was your friend's name? What was that guy's name? Joe Wood. Joe Woods. They would come yeah. out to the lake on occasion. So that's how Bill and I meet. And there's a great story Bill tells about somebody leaves the hose on pitcher's mound in between games oh, of a of, of a doubleheader, and Buzzy calls down and who do you think in the ground crew that he should talk to when somebody leaves the hose? Well, his 16 year old son, as a matter of course, and Buzzy yeah. chews Bill's. <laughs> <laughs> but Tommy Lasorda, man, he when he got it going, it was mm. like this guy's gifted profanity. Oh, and he's <laughs> he's gifted non-profanity too. Trust me, you know oh. he he knew he's got he knew just where the line is, you know that that <laughs> Mimi's would accept, right? And said so he's just burying me, and you know I got to tell you, I'm listening to him, and he's right, he's right, you know, and and, and so I. I called San- Sandy and said, "Hey, look, he's in. I don't think you have to worry." Look, my attitude was, "This guy, this guy, if if he is, if the heart is a pro- problem, this guy should die with his boots on." Exactly. So this is know, the, this is the place I, for him to die. Yeah, this guy shouldn't be sitting around. I kind of I felt the same way about Jim, Jimmy Reese. I wish we had sent him to to New York with the club, but you know, it's that it's that kind of thing that that you just you got to you got to believe him. He says he's fine. He says he's good. And you gotta let uh, let him go. And I will swear to you, God, he does make players better. And I have said that to some veteran players who get teed off. You know, and they say that's ah, that's baloney. You know, I don't need anybody to make me better. This isn't true. That you know, he's just so full of crap. They just they they go nuts if they're if they're real established, real good players. They just don't buy into it. But I will tell you, I've seen it work. I've seen him do stuff. I've seen him tell you that that Michael, you are the best on the radio. You can deliver the best, you know, you know, messages. And you know, you will, you will be better when he's done done with you. He did it to Oral Hershiser. Oral Hershiser had a rep, reputation as a as a real young pitcher in the minor leagues that that he was a uh, he was he pitched out of the bullpen and starting pitchers who had done well didn't want to give him the ball. Because he'd spit it up, and that that now I wasn't live, living that. This is this is the story I've heard, but I believe it. I do believe it because I do remember him being. I do remember Oral Hershiser, and I remember him in the minor leagues, and I remember him being nobody, just right. a, a pretty good looking kid, but not something you're going to worry about or you're, you're going to trade for. This guy shows up to big league camp finally, and and Tommy starts calling him a bulldog. He's, and that's how he got the nickname Bulldog because Tommy just kept screaming at him, you're the bulldog, you're the bulldog we need. Which, you're if you look at Oral Hershiser, he is not a bulldog-looking guy. No. It is the most no. inappropriate you wouldn't, nickname. You wouldn't, exactly, exactly. But all of a sudden, with Tommy right. doing what what he did, this guy did become a bulldog and put a, put a ball in his hand. And so I saw him do that with the with – the, U.S. team, and I'm a firm believer that that I think that most people would listen to Tommy, and they'll walk in the clubhouse, and before he opens his mouth, they'll hear or to them, they'll hear him talking to every, everybody else. They'll say, "This guy's so full of crap. Right. This guy is so full of it." Then when he turns and faces you, and says, "You are the best," now all of a sudden, in the back of your pea brain, you're saying. Yeah, but this time he's telling the truth. <laughs> you know? I mean, and so we can't believe that. 
Well, you know, I I always tell people that um, I think the most powerful words that you ever look at somebody and say is, I believe in you, I know you can do it. And and if they respect you, um, I always talk about, you know, in, in, in when I go and speak about trauma, there's two critical things that will change somebody's life. One is if they respect you and you look them straight in the face and you tell them the truth, you'll change their life. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and so to me, I, I was a coach in high school baseball and, and this is one of the stories I tell when I, when I go speak and, and I said, I, I bring this kid he's into pitch. He's, he's a sophomore. I wish I could remember who it was. I didn't, I give him the ball. He's nervous, right? He's pitching a varsity game. And I looked at him and I said, Hey, you're going to do great. I believe in you. I know you could do it. And I don't even remember what he did. I come to practice the next day, you know, and uh, I'm walking the field and he's waiting for me. Coach, could I talk to you? And that, you know, normally it's like my dad, you know, my dad's mad because I didn't play enough. My mom's mad because she heard you say the F word, right? Um, or or some something like that. And um, and so I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, um, I just want to thank you for what you said to me yesterday. And I couldn't remember what I said to him. I'm like, I didn't say anything significant to him. And I so I asked him, I said, what did I say? And he said, when you handed me the ball, you looked at me. And you said, I believe in you. I know you could do it. I said, yeah, you were the only one who didn't know that. And he said, I've never had a grown man say that to me in my life, and I just want to thank you. And you're just like, holy smokes. But you know what? That's what Tommy did with that Olympic team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I truly believe that. And, and, and um, we have, we have uh, get-togethers every once in a while. We, we, had, we had one reunion in person a, you know, a few years ago. And, and Paul Seiler runs USA Baseball. He does a good job of, of putting, getting us together once in a while. And he, uh, so we, we had a Zoom call, I don't know, a month ago. And uh, Tom, Tommy was on it. And, you know, these guys, they, they all, you know, they all have nice things to say about them. Um, and they just, I think they really enjoy the experience. And I am, I am forever thankful that, that Sandy had the patience to listen to the idea that, Hey, maybe we, we better circle back to Tom, Tommy, you know, don't, don't give him such short shrift. We should think about this. Um, and, and it worked out great. What, um, Let's talk about Tommy's. Uh, what do you think are his greatest achievements as a uh, as a, as a manager? He, uh, you know, as a player, you know, I, I was reading about him. He he struck out twenty five in a fifteen inning game. But if you, you know, I, I can and I was reading the story. But the thing that he would talk about was that he singled in the winning run in the fifteenth inning, right? And so he does all that. <laughs> <laughs> right and he said right you could just hear the story right that you know yeah yeah but that's nothing let me tell you so i go to bat the 15th inning and right, and he tells the story right um but you know he he said that he probably threw right between 200 and 300 pitches uh in the game and uh and you and you hear these stories what do you think are his uh what's his greatest achievement well, you know, I, I think it's winning. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think about that last night. Um, and it, for me, it's purely uh, the proof is in the pudding, you know. And, and these guys were always, they were always either winning in it. I don't remember him ever getting their, I don't remember their, them getting their butt kicked. I just remember them always being the class of the league. 
in some respect, you know, you might, you might have uh, the Braves pop up and win and be hot. You might have somebody pop up here and there and be, and be hot. And of course, you know, these guys are battling in the same division with, with the, with the big, big red machine. And so, you know, these guys were in these epic battles and the attention they got because Tommy was who, who he was. I mean, is there anybody more perfect to run a baseball team in Hollywood than, than this guy? And he's not, he's not Hollywood. He's, he's definitely, you know, an old school gr- yeah, he's old grinder, school. but you know, Sinatra loved him. Rickles loved, loved him. These guys loved being around him. Right. And, um, so I, I, I just, for me, it was that he, he did not fail. He won. And, the, the, his greatest achievement for me is just, you know, I don't know if it's winning the, the life lot lottery or what, but, but I do believe that, that he buzzy has a great life story. This guy's life story start to finish is, is pretty incredible, pretty incredible. And this guy, this guy didn't have, he had his heartache too. You know, he, he lost a son to, um, HIV and, and he, he had, he had some tough, tough times. This but guy he, went through, but through, he never, through he never acknowledged that, right? He always said it was pneumonia, no. right? I, yeah. I mean, and well, that was, I mean, Tommy, devout Catholic, Italian, right? Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, very difficult, right? Because in public, right? And and I think a lot of people acknowledge exactly what you said, um, but he did not, and so it was very awkward for people that you know, you know, who loved no, him, right? right? Right. Well, you know. Medicine gave him the out to say it was it was pneumonia because I suppose technically that was the last thing that got him. Right. But but he did love his son, you know, and I can tell you that I can tell you that. And, and I heard I finally heard somebody uh, handle it really well on a uh, I think it was a it might have been the New York Times Daily podcast. So I don't know what it was, but it was it was something I heard the other day, and it was it was. It was told by somebody who had interviewed Tom, Tommy, and this 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 inter- interviewer is from the the LGBTQ uh, community. And this guy said it was real clear to me that 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 Tommy would have a that Tommy just had that tough time acknowledging <clears throat> what was taking his son. But it was also clear to this guy that Tommy loved his son just just for his son right. that he was a son. Right. Um, but, but, you know, that was difficult for Tommy. I don't, I don't think, I think, you know, Tommy was like the rest of us at that time. I'm, I, I gotta, I gotta include myself and the rest of the world. You know, we, we were not as enlightened as we are now. And he had one of the best athletes in the, in the game, maybe in the his, history of the game in Glenn, in Glenn Burke. He was a, just a fabulous athlete and went by, by the wayside, not because of Tommy, because we just weren't ready for that yet, right. and um, so, so you know, he had his heart. He had his heartaches along, along the way. Yeah, he definitely had his heartaches along, along the way that, that he just toughed, toughed through. And I don't think that's that that easy to just tough through things. But you know, I knew his I knew his wife Joe um, and a sweeter woman you'll never never know. Um, and and. So this guy, this guy went through a lot of love and a lot of a lot of heart heartache along the way, but he brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. And you know, speaking engagements, no matter what it was, it was a hundred percent, man. If you if you had Tommy speaking at your event, well, you know, yeah. if you're a company, it's going to cost you a lot a lot of money. You know, if you're a Catholic church, it won't cost you anything. Right. And so he did the right. He did a lot of the right things. 
And yeah, and most of that stuff, you know, you know, like a lot of guys like him, um, you know, he does, he did under the radar, um, and and nobody really knows it, um, you know. But I, but you know, he was an interesting guy because he was so outspoken when he uh, finishes managing Albuquerque, which is where I first heard of him, because mm. when my dad is managing. <laughs> Uh, the Birmingham A's in 1967, I think it was 67. Um, at the end of the year, there's a series, and they play the Albuquerque Dukes, I think they were at the time. Um, Dixie series. Yeah, in, a, in the Dixie series. And so it was these 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 players would all play again in the World Series where there's a famous, mm-hmm. uh, there's a famous uh, Billy Buckner slide where he hits a triple, and he has this long hair, and Billy Buckner could run like a deer when he was young. Yeah. Uh, somebody just told me a, a month ago that one of the best players in the history of Napa, California, one of the best athletes ever to come out of there. And that when you see that picture of Billy Buckner, you know, he kind of curls up on third base. You'll see Tommy Lasorda there. Those guys were all played in, in the Dixie series. They were just young, you know, 19, yeah. 20, 20 year old Reggie Jackson, Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, Dave Duncan, you know, Raleigh Fingers, all these guys who would become players. But that's where I first heard him. But he was so outspoken, right? The big Dodger in the sky, I bleed Dodger blue. And you would see it on the game of the week. And there was nobody really like him, right? There was no. nobody that talked. I mean, now no. we'd look at him and say, talking trash. But he was so outspoken. And I remember seeing a special they did on him when he was still down in Albuquerque because of this 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 personality that he had. Yeah, he was, and, and he was consistent. He was consistent till the day he died. Right. And, and, and I mean that li- quite literally. You know, he was consistent till the day he died. He was. He. You know, nobody has the stamina for that kind of excitement. <laughs> but but Tommy Lasorda. The uh, now, your dad. So Bill and I are in college together, right? And um, and I, I want to play just about three seconds of something, and then Bill can tell the story. So he, um, Bill's dad would collect these audio tapes of uh, <laughs> of of Tommy, and Tommy would uh, he would go on these meltdowns, right? When when he would get asked about. Uh, different players, and there's famous ones with Kurt Brabacqua. But the but the one that I heard first was he has this meltdown after Dave Kingman hits about four four, four home runs, drives in eleven runs at Rig, in a game in Wrigley Field against the Dodgers, and some reporter like shoves shoves a microphone in Tommy's face right after the game, and he's pissed. And asks him, "Hey Tommy, what do you think of Dave Kingman's performance?" <laughs> right, and so I wa- I just want to play a few seconds of this because Buzzy had the unbleeped copy. Okay, oh, and this yeah. uh, this yeah, some comments about your feelings on the game. This is Tommy Lasorda. Well, naturally, I feel bad about losing a ball game like that. There's uh, there's no way you should lose that ball game, and that uh, just doesn't make sense. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? What's my opinion of Kingman's performance? What the f*** do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't Opinion of his performance? He beat us with three home runs. What the f*** do you mean, what is my opinion of his performance? How can you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his, of, of his performance? 
He hit three home runs. I'm off to lose the game. And you ask me my opinion of this performance. <laughs> that goes on and on. And the guy who asked it was ended up being our play-by-play guy in Spokane one year. And I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a Jim Healy str- uh, stringer. Oh, and shit. he said, uh, and if you listen further on that thing, you know, Lasorda says, uh, he says, God, yeah, 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 yeah. he hit five home runs or, or three, three home runs and drove in seven. And the guy says, not eight. <laughs> and he flips out even worse. <laughs> and Buzzy's playing this. We go up to see him in his office at Anaheim Stadium. And he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got it. And he, and he goes in his drawer and he has these cassettes, right? Because he had a few of them, right? Yeah. And he had this collection. And he goes, hey, you got to listen to this. And he puts it in and he rewinds it and he hits play. And then we're sitting there laughing, listening to it. He goes, hold on, it gets better. And that's when the guy, when he says, what are you driving? Seven, eight. And then he goes off again. <laughs> oh, oh, my, my God. God. But, you know, and these, you know, and, and Bill and I were blessed to grow up around these kind of guys. And they were tough guys. I mean, Bill's dad was a tough guy. I mean, they were great guys, but they were fighters. Uh, Tommy Lasorda, man, he was a fighter. He was not, you know, he, you know, com- comes out of what Denora, Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, his family has five kids. He going to spring training to make a baseball team, or going home to work in a factory. And yeah. uh, these guys were self-made guys. These guys were tough guys, and they would give you the shirt off their back if you need it. Just like him, you know, he, you know, he came out and and met Patrick and I, and and uh, just, um, you know, just said the nicest things. You know, because, you know, of my service to the nation and, and his relationship with my father. But, you know, we grew up around these kind of guys. I mean, they were giants when we were little guys. And you got a chance to be around them. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, Bill's dad had a collection of those things. And uh, Yeah, they were, you're right about them. They, they were tough guys. They were, they were tough guys. They worked their butts off. And I kind of think sometimes, you know, I saw it and it looked too easy. And I didn't get the, sometimes I didn't, I'm, I'm not sure I got the right education early, early on because, you know, it wasn't until I was, I was right in the thick of stuff as either, you know, I was maybe a little bit higher than a far, farm director, but not, not a GM. And then my time as a GM, you know, I learned that's what Mike Tyson means when he says, you know, every, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. Yeah. And that's, these a great, guys, that's, a, that's a great line and completely true too. Uh, totally, totally. And these guys lived that. These guys, these guys got hit, hit in the face and just, and just came back. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, my dad was good friend, you know, my dad, I, we had lunch once with Tommy and Joe at the Newporter and they have their poodles with them and, uh, down here in Newport beach and just talk about la- side splitting laughter. It was Tommy and Joe Malfitano, another one of my dad's great friends, another one of Tommy's coaches. And then, uh, and Tommy's wife, Joe, they're poodles, and then me and my dad having lunch. And just talk about side-splitting laughter. But there is an element to these guys. And Billy Martin was a great friend of my dad's. And, I mean, you know, and all the stuff that ever gets written for him, if they like you, they will give you the shirt off their back. Literally. What do you need? And they'll do it. And, uh, again, these most of them were... You know, they were Depression-era kids, and they, you know, I mean, Tommy Lasorda, you know, you talk, you, you did, you talk about your dad's run, and Tommy Lasorda's run is is equally amazing. What's the one thing you'll never forget about him, Bill? 
Well, I guess two things. One is really innocuous and one is meaningful. You know? And you know, the first is, is he used to advise my father to spank me more. And <laughs> that used to just piss me off. And, and, um, and then <clears throat> there's, a, there's a couple. There's that. And then I went to Dodger Town one time. The only time I had been there as a child, I was 10. And um, Buzzy wouldn't let us around the big, big league club, club, you know, clubhouse. But right. I, I could go bat boy the Albuquerque club. So I, I bat boyed for him at uh, in Hol- Holman State Stadium. And I remember going out to get a bat too early, and somebody scoring, and they and they ran across the plate and just ran right by me and almost and didn't see me and and would have just just pulverized me. And Tommy kind of walks over and says, hey, um, you might want to watch out for these guys. It's a whole different world here. <laughs> and he was so right. And I never forgot that. I know, I, to this day, I can kind of feel the feeling like, oh, I was almost killed. And, and then, then, then him winning, winning the gold medal. I mean, I know, you know, I wasn't around the Dodgers when he was win, winning there. You know, I was right. somewhere else. But that gold medal, that was meaningful. That was, we weren't supposed to do that. We just absolutely the Cubans were supposed to roll over us, and and we just weren't supposed to do do that. And we had like two come. We had I think we had two walk off uh, victories, and I mean it was just unbelievable. And and so I'll I'll never forget that. Interesting. All right. First of all, I appreciate you uh, hopping on today and talking about him. But no, just a wonderful, wonderful man, and touched a lot of people's lives as you said, raised a lot of money for a lot of different organizations and uh, what a great run and what a great life. Bill, thank you very much. Yeah, love, love, to, love to do it. It's fun. All right, Thanks. bud. See you. See that is uh, William Joseph Bavese. Um Bill, one of my college roommates. And Bill was, uh, um, again, his father, Buzzy, um, one of the most interesting men I've ever met in my life. You know, when we were roommates in college, we'd go up to their house in La Jolla every once in a while for dinner. And, you know, you'd walk in and just, you know, this is Bill's dad. And I was a reader and he had these bookshelves in his living room. And, and I, we'd talk about different books he read. And he's just, a fa- again, fascinating guy. Fought in World War II uh, in the North Africa campaign and then up the... Uh, you know, up through the mountain fighting uh, in uh, in Italy in what was a a tough, tough fight with the German army that was really good. Uh, the battle, you know, you, the famous things that happened were, you know, the, the bombing of Monte Cassino is famous in that campaign. Uh, Anzio, the landing there, are, are kind of the marquee, um, are kind of the marquee battles, and then General Mark Clark commanding that. Uh, commanding that fight, but uh, but uh, no, we had a chance as young guys to meet, you know, these kind of men, and they and they left their stamp. I I will tell you, and you know, you heard Bill say they left their stamp on you. Uh, my dad's pitching coach was a guy named Bill Posdell, and he used to look at me and he said, "Hey, you're going to do something great with your life," and he had a huge impact on my life. I mean, just the you know, just the fact that he used to say that to me all the time. Hey, come here. And I mean, and they were funny guys too. Like Postel, he liked, he loved me. He's my, I, he's my uncle Bill, right? He's my dad's minor league pitching coach, and I knew him when I was a little guy, like five, six, seven years old. And then I know him into my twenties when he's a pitching coach for my dad in the big leagues. And he would take me to breakfast. Mike, what do you do in the morning? Nothing. 
go to hey, let's go to let's go to you go to breakfast with your uncle Bill. So I'd meet him outside of his room. I'd be there, and uh, I'd go to breakfast with him. And so we'd be sitting there talking, and he'd put a spoon in the thing of water, and he'd shoot the water up in the up in the air, and he'd look at the ceiling, like there was water leaking from the ceiling. And he like he thought this stuff was the funniest stuff in the world, and then you know and they you know they knew how to good time uh, you know he's the one <laughs> he's the one Postel is the one he had these lumps like on his forehead I don't know what they were, and he and he'd look at me and goes hey come here you know what this is and I'd say no Uncle Bill what is it and he'd say it's a couple of scotches, so they <laughs> they they had this right this funny sense of humor that probably wasn't appropriate for little kids but i loved it right i thought it was the best this was this place i got to go to right and uh and you learned as a kid right what you see here what you say here no what you see here what you hear here let it stay here when you leave here and i got told as a kid if you ever talk about the stuff that goes on here with your mother or your sisters you'll never come back (laughs) That's all I needed, right? Um, but, you know, as I said, Bill and I had the privilege of growing up around these kind of guys that were bigger than life. And when they sat you down and they talked to you and they gave you advice on, on the times they did, um, it had a it had a huge impact. And Thomas Sorter was one of a kind. Um, again, nobody talked trash, right, in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, I mean, people just didn't do that. You know, and he was this outspoken Dodger blue, the big Dodger in the sky and all that stuff. And uh, and uh, what an incredible life that, that he lived. What an incredible life that he lived. So on that note, uh, that'll do it. I just want to thank Bill for coming on. Uh, you know, his, uh, his story starts with his father. And uh, like I said... Um, People do things for you out of the blue. And, you know, that day at that funeral, uh, that kind of took me by surprise, you know. And uh, and when he was all done talking to me, he grabbed me and he shook my hand. And he said, uh, you know, he said, good luck. He said, good luck. And And it was, you know, it was the way he said it and the way he grabbed my hand. And, you know, here's a World War II veteran, you know, telling you something like that. And just, uh, you know, I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. I, I don't talk about that very much. Um, it's just very cool, though. Very cool. So, um, but I want to talk about Tommy Lasorda today. Truly a unique guy. And uh, just, uh, just a, literally, a one-of-a-kind human being. That'll do it. On Inauguration Day. So if you're just tuning in, um, hour one, we talk about the inauguration. And uh, without any pride, um, I don't believe the current trajectory, and I don't mean um, who's running what. The The current dialogue in the nation is not a good one. There is no compromise, right? There's no respect. And there's not a whole lot of focus given to the truth. So we talk about that. And so I hope Joe Biden can do something about that. But I'm not sure that he can. And if he can't, then this nation will continue on a trajectory that means that 
there will be more confrontation in the future until some point which at which we all conclude that compromise is a good thing respect is a good thing and so anyway you'll hear that in hour one but uh, again my thanks to my uh former roommate bill babesi uh coming on talking about his father and tommy lasorda so as always as we head out today don't be afraid to change somebody's life um you know, it's funny that, you know, even even in this discussion, you know, we talk about, you know, living in the aftermath of trauma. And uh, so, for those of you who listen and understand what post-traumatic winning is about, don't be afraid to go out and change somebody's life. There's no better medicine. There's no better, um, there's no better drug to take than the feeling that you get when you transform somebody's life. So, don't be afraid to do that. If you want to watch post-traumatic winning, by the way, shoot me an email, and uh, and I'll give you access to the uh, to the presentation. And then once you watch it, you'll understand the path, and you'll be able to go um, change somebody's life. All you got to do is listen. Hey, could I talk to you? Hey, you know there's nothing wrong with you, right? That what you're going through is absolutely absolutely normal based on what you've been through. So. Anyway, let me know. Have a great day. Happy inauguration to everybody. On a Wednesday, All Marine Radio, out.